Okay, so let's talk about geniuses and child prodigies and the dangers of imposing too much praise or pressure on them, or even specifically the risk of failure, and just generally some of the reasons why people that are given so much praise early on in life have a higher chance of not succeeding necessarily in what they want to do, or even not knowing what they want to do. This is a subject that's been rattling around my mind for a little while, and I think part of the reason for that is because we're in a community, a big open and creative technical community where there's praise being thrown left, right and center, which I think is a good thing, certainly for encouragement. But there's also certain situations where we deify certain creators almost, where because a very continual stream of intellectual content is put out on these content feeds, probably on social media, it bounces around, it gets reshared, it gets liked, and it's, I suppose, a form of entertainment. People consume it. Uh, other artists might look at it and feel inspired. Some may feel insecure. That's something that's definitely been happening. But echo chamber praise is something that's always worth keeping an eye on. And that's something that I just want to discuss a bit here. Now, I'm sure lots of people have seen these kinds of things, but you know these TV shows where parents let their children go on, where they're made out to be these prodigies, these geniuses, the next Albert Einsteins and Stephen Hawking's of the world? And it's made to be this big display and comparisons are made between like the skill set or knowledge of a child compared to an adult or an expert in the field. Well, the question I want to keep in mind here is out of all of those children and all of those prodigies that appeared on those shows, how many do you hear about on a day-to-day, -day, weekly, monthly, or yearly basis now in the future? Like how many of them have actually transcended mediocrity and averageness in real life and exceeded to a point where they're now more known than other people? Now, the harsh reality of that is that most of them have not. And there is some reason behind that. And that's kind of what I'm interested in. Because in an ideal world, if you see someone that has a remarkable skill set and a remarkable knowledge base, and preferably has a good personality, then you want them to succeed. And you want them to improve the world in some way. But unfortunately, something to do with how society is constructed, I don't know, that doesn't tend to happen. Not in the majority of cases, I think. Now we can point to any number of reasons, for example, kind of shielded parenting and excessive praise, leading people to be afraid of failure, therefore not trying certain things in case they fail, therefore keeping themselves kept in a box, not really doing anything, not really improving, giving other people time to catch up, and then they basically become the average. But funnily enough, I started reading a book recently called Originals by Adam Grant. For at the beginning of the book, on page 9, I stumbled across a section where they talk exactly about this. So I'm going to read you a quote that Adam's written here, because it's extremely relevant. He says, We assume that what gifted kids have in book smarts, they lack in street smarts. Or they have the intellectual chops, they must lack the social, emotional, and practical skills to function in society. When you look at the evidence, though, this explanation falls short. Less than a quarter of gifted children suffer from social and emotional problems. The vast majority are well-adjusted, as delightful at cocktail parties as in spelling bees. Although child prodigies are often rich in both talent and ambition, what holds them back from moving the world forward is that they don't learn to be original. As they perform in Carnegie Hall, win the Science Olympics and become chess champions, something tragic happens. Practice makes perfect, but it does not make new. The gifted learn to play magnificent Mozart melodies and beautiful Beethoven symphonies, but never compose their own original scores. They focus their energy on consuming existing scientific knowledge, not producing new insights. They conform to the codified rules of established games rather than inventing their own rules or their own games. All along the way, they strive to earn the approval of their parents and the admiration of their teachers. Research demonstrates that it's the most creative children who are the least likely to become the teacher's pet. So I think Adam really hit a nail on the head with that one. Because when we're looking and talking about child prodigies and geniuses, they're usually a prodigy at one categorical thing. Usually. Something that can be identified and something that can be praised. 
And I think when we praise people for one specific thing, that's when we start boxing them in. And I think at that point, it becomes a problem of audience. Because if you're trying to excel at something or prove your worth in something, there is an audience for that. If you're trying to do well in school, then your teachers and your parents are the audience. But if you're trying to do well in music, then I guess maybe your parents are still the audience, but also maybe your music teachers, you know? I guess if you're trying to excel in doing artwork, then maybe it's your friends who are the audience or potential people that could hire you for a job if you're going the technical route. There's always someone to admire you and there's always someone to impress. So I think there becomes a secondary issue of scope. If you know what you're good at, or rather if you know the only thing you know how to do, then why would you explore other avenues? Because there's a risk of looking amateur. If you start trying to explore other skills, everyone has a first day in those skills. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, you're always going to sound terrible on the first day, unless you're lucky, unless you've got a knack for it, you know? But that's a risk. If you want to learn how to do programming, things are clearly not going to run very well on your first try. Not unless you're following a step-by-step -step tutorial, which isn't necessarily the best way to learn all the time. I think the best way to learn new skills generally is to pick your own projects with unique issues and try and use research to construct solutions to those issues yourself rather than having someone tell you what the solutions are. And then there's also the issue of when you're looking for admiration, picking skills that more easily give you something to show off than others. So for example, art-based skills can give you some good looking, easy to show off results when compared to strictly technical skills, which are more knowledge-based. You can't necessarily show off knowledge visually or audibly, but you can tell it to someone. And with that, we run the risk of becoming an obnoxious person. Like very few people want to listen to your hour-long spiel about the kind of niche subject in physics that you've been learning about and suddenly become an expert in over the last few nights. So I think child prodigies have a hard time when it comes to growing up. Because I think more than anyone else, they have this immense fear of failure, which is just a terrible thing for skill development in general, or even social development, all kinds of development. And I think that's a bad thing, because as I think we've said on here before, failure is like the best learning tool you have available to you. Because failure gives you so much information and data about where you've gone wrong, and how to adjust in new directions. I think maybe no industry knows this better than the aerospace industry. You kind of want things to fail on the first time, because then you get all of the data, all of the stresses, all of the areas where things can be reinforced, where things can be improved. If things always go smoothly from the very beginning, it's a good cause to be suspicious, because you know that you've probably overlooked something, something that could bite you in the ass later on, and at that point there may be more to lose. So I think failure when learning skills and developing projects is something that should be embraced early on. And it's very sad to think about all the parents out there that don't want their children to fail at something, that feel like the embarrassment of their child somehow reflects them, that if their child fails at something, then it's a reflection of them as a failure. And I think that's an extremely toxic, extremely narrow-minded view set to have. And it's definitely not the kind of environment that you want to raise a creative personality in. Now, I did stumble on an interesting BBC article about this. It was called Child Prodigies, How Geniuses Navigate the Uncertain Journey to Adulthood. It was written by Joshua Nevitt on the 21st of December 2019. Now there's an interesting quote in there from Professor Ellen Winner, who's the author of the book Gifted Children, Myths and Realities, and they say this, When prodigies do not make the transition to adult creator, they may feel like failures. No one cares anymore that a 21-year-old can play the violin with great expertise, or ace calculus, or understand Latin and Greek. Now that point is also something that I heavily agree with, because in my opinion, Intelligence is no longer impressive in this world, not in this new age of the internet, where anyone with an internet connection has access to pretty much any kind of technical information that they like. Having information and knowledge available to you is no longer impressive, at least not like it used to be. 
just being smart is no longer seen as something that should be admired. Rather, I think it's seen more as an obnoxious thing. Like, yes, you've spent a while reading a Wikipedia article. Well done. You're not better than the rest of us. And by expressing that, we're going to develop spite feelings against you because you feel like you're better just for having that information. I feel like that's the kind of mood that's perpetuated here. So intelligence by itself is no longer seen as this thing that should just be admired for the sake of it. I think in the case of child prodigies, the admiration comes not necessarily from the intelligence they have, or the gifted skill set, should we say, rather the interest and the obsession in a subject which is divergent from the average. Now, interest and obsession are interesting things for pretty much all ages when thinking about creativity. Children tend to be more obsessed over certain subjects generally, and that's why we have kids that, you know, can memorize every single dinosaur name. Or others with compulsive tendencies, which will count absolutely everything they come into contact with and categorize them. But I think then we're kind of breaching into an interesting territory of attention deficits and autism. And that's something I'm definitely not qualified to talk about, but it is something that's very interesting to read about. And also an interesting point to think about there is how any kind of these mental divergences evolve as the human matures, as they grow up and as they learn new things and as they're exposed to society, how they handle these things and how this stimulus will change the way they think and the way they behave. So stepping back, in my opinion again, just to wrap this up, intelligence and knowledge by themselves are no longer impressive, but originality slash creativity and capability are impressive. So not what you know, but how you apply it. And I think these are very, very special and specific skills, something that we're not necessarily taught how to develop, something that people find out for themselves. It's entrepreneurship. We call people like Elon Musk geniuses nowadays. We don't necessarily call people that do really well in university or in science fields geniuses, not unless they're given very obvious rewards for it, at least not in the popular context. Geniuses nowadays are people that have knowledge and know how to apply them in extremely creative ways to succeed or to do something that can obviously be measured as success. But I think there's a huge caveat to this statement of intelligence and knowledge is no longer impressive because it still kind of is and people get praised for it. But I think the praise comes for a variety of different reasons. In the case of friend groups, someone expresses their interest in something, they demonstrate what they've learned, they create something with it, friends and family will jump on that and provide encouragement because they want them to continue, they want them to feel good, they want them to make more stuff. But what's the end goal there? Make more stuff. Become successful. Do something with that information, do something with that skill set. Or alternatively, just feel good. Because we as humans, even though it's not necessarily demonstrated well in this day and age, do have a compulsion to make other people feel good unconditionally. The world feels like a more positive and safe place if other people are happy all the time. Okay, now what about the flip side of this? Keeping in mind the context or the example of the Blender open source community, there's a challenge that happens every year called November. It happens in November, and what happens is people use the Blender software to create technical demonstrations or pieces of artwork based on a theme that's given for every day of the month. Now the criteria is that they need to use nodes, so mathematical nodes, shader nodes, material nodes, maybe even geometry nodes now to create something procedurally or parametrically. So for example, they might start with a sphere or a plane, just something very basic, a simple primitive, and then create something complex from it. We typically see this done with vector displacement, at least in recent years. So it's almost like programmatically making some artwork using very basic fundamentals. Now you can imagine how this becomes an intellectual flexing game. And the results are very interesting to see. And I think that it's beneficial in the way that people doing these things are learning new techniques along the way. And hopefully they share that with other people in the community. So we're collectively making jumps in knowledge and understanding every year by running challenges like this. But there is an interesting and observable downside, which is that people feel very insecure during this time. Now, I remember putting a video out 
in November, I think it was, so convenient timing. And it was titled, Are You Insecure About Your Artwork? And it was a discussion video about whether you should actually care about what people think about your work. Now, after that, I got about three different people messaging me or making some comment about whether they thought the video was made about them. Because of course, I'd been speaking to a lot of people at that time and taking a look at their November artworks. And each of these people had been feeling insecure by looking at other people's work. Because in this situation, people that are considered the geniuses in the community, the people with the higher knowledge base and more developed skills for this type of work, obviously they get more attention in the community because they make something that's really cool, really impressive from a technical standpoint. It gets shared more, everyone sees it, and other people taking part in this competition feel insecure. Of course, not everyone does, depends on the personality type, but it was interesting to observe. Now that insecurity is a good and a bad thing. It's good because it encourages you to keep trying and keep pushing yourself. But it's also a bad thing because I don't think people should be in competition for creative skills. Now we run the caveat here that of course there's a technical job market for creative skills, so people should be in competition in that regard. But I think from the hobbyist standpoint and from the sake of emotional stability, it's not a good thing to be in competition in that way. Because people run the risk of feeling insecure to the point where they feel like an imposter and then they give up on the artwork because what's the point in trying, they'll never catch up. Well, maybe we should talk about that. Now going back to this BBC article, they talk about a child prodigy called Lawrence Simmons, or Simons, I'm not sure exactly how they say the last name. And that professor, Ellen Winner, has an interesting thing to say about what we've just been talking about. They say that this kid in question had a rage to master, as they call it, an unstoppable motive to excel in their domain of ability. When Laurent is an adult, he may reach the limit of that ability, allowing other bright individuals of a similar age to catch up. As a result, their talents as a child may seem less special as an adult. So in regards to catching up, I think with creative skill sets, there's an element of diminishing returns when it comes to high level stuff. And especially when there's subjectivity involved in the artistic field, I think it's definitely possible for, well, anyone to catch up with anyone else. Now we must also keep in mind that people learn skills and adopt knowledge in different ways. And I don't think anyone has figured out a completely efficient way for doing so. The first people to adopt knowledge and skills might be considered the slowest to do so. And people are always looking for new ways and new shortcuts to pick up skills. Now, people who have spent a long time and have become experts in certain artistic skill sets might say, well, you can't shortcut this kind of skill. You know, it takes a lot of time, a lot of practice, but I would diverge from that. I think you can. I think you can shortcut your way to artistic expertise. It just really depends on the types of projects you do and the people that are teaching you those skills. Because I think what a lot of people do, especially people who are young learning skills, is they brute force their way to expertise in certain skills. They learn it from the ground up. They have nothing to compare it to, no other information or experience to link it to. It takes a longer time, but because they put in the time, because they have a lot of free time, they do develop those skills. Now, people going down other creative roads, perhaps musicians, who knows, just an example, might go through life and suddenly think, right, I want to do 3D artwork one day. They'll look at other people that are doing extremely technical and intellectual, impressive, highly complex 3D art and go, wow, I'll never catch up to that. Well, I would say, actually, I think you can, because you already have an inbuilt creative understanding there. What you need to do is not take the same route of learning that they did. Don't brute force your way from the ground up. Find a way to link it to what you've already been doing. Just as much as we were saying that there's a very special skill that can be developed in learning how to apply knowledge to become, say, a creative genius, I think there's also a separate skill that can be learned in knowing how to adopt other skills by connecting it to pre-existing understandings. So I don't think people feeling insecure about this kind of work when looking at what other people are achieving should feel like they can never catch up. I think they should instead consider whether or not there's a unique, viable path to learning those skills by combining it to things that they already understand. 
kind of riding along the edge of that comfort zone, not stepping out of it entirely, but using it to accelerate their learning, expanding the boundary rather than creating an entirely new bubble. Okay, so what about for parents that have children that they consider gifted or above average in talent, children that they think have a step up in a certain field compared to their peers? Okay, first of all, teach them not to be afraid of failure. In fact, I would say encourage it. Encourage them to try many things and expect failure and learn lessons from it. Because there's no point just failing and then not learning anything and just blocking it out. You need to be able to stop, reflect on what happened, and learn something for the future. Then, secondary to that, teach them to create new things. New things by themselves, by their own ambition. Give them time to connect with the idea of themselves in the world. Perhaps express their feelings in a way that's creative. I think codifying emotions in creative work is a good way to make the work genuine. It makes the ambition to continue learning feel genuine rather than forced. Forced for an ulterior reason. For example, the appreciation or admiration of other people exclusively. Feeling isolated and disconnected from a tribe or a social group and wanting to impress, wanting to feel superior. Teach people to do things for the sake of themselves and their own satisfaction, first of all, then for other people, secondly. Okay, and what about for the people out there that feel like they are the genius? They are the prodigy, they're given lots of praise. I would say you have an opportunity, do something creative and original with the skill sets and the knowledge that you have for the benefit of other people. Be a bit business minded about things. Utilize that skill and the knowledge that you have. Try and turn it into a job, maybe make it sustainable. But of course, if you enjoy it, always be aware of the risks of turning something you love into a job. You can definitely do it and that's something I try and navigate every single day. But it's something you should be aware of, something you should be careful of. Ultimately, what we want to avoid is having a situation where we do have geniuses, people that are above a measurable average in certain categories of knowledge or skill, where they don't have appropriate guidance or they don't have the appropriate experiences or interactions with other people or life in general, and they end up failing. Or we could consider failure in this regard an inability to explore that potential and instead opting for a different way of life. Because I'm sure it's the case for many of these people that they excel to such an amazing degree in a certain field, but because the conditions for where they live or what's available to them are just so unfortunately incorrect that they've had to settle into a completely different lifestyle. And in situations like that, we hope that those people have the ambition and even the free time to just explore that skill set in a different way rather than just giving up on it entirely. If you have free time separate from your main work, and you feel like you're emotionally capable of it, then you can continue exploring those skills and building something for yourself on the side. But of course, everyone has a different life situation, and blanket advice like this won't work for everyone. But I definitely think it's something worth keeping in mind. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had family members or friends go, oh, you know, look at my child, they're such a genius, well, they know all of this, and you just roll your eyes and go, all right, just be careful there, you might end up ruining their life accidentally. So ultimately, I guess one of the reasons why I'm interested in subjects like this is because I want to try and discover ways or discover good advice to give to people so that they avoid making those kinds of mistakes. So that in the end, we can generally have cooler things at a faster pace. Because if we do have new geniuses working on new techniques and technologies, then I think everyone in the world would benefit from it. Perhaps we'll get over cancer a lot faster. Perhaps we would be on different planets by now. Perhaps we would have much faster rendering engines, you know? It's beneficial for everyone putting aside spiteful insecurities and backlash. So thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.